0: Good to see your faces. It's good to see the sunshine. I'd like to start this morning with a story from the U.S. Navy. It goes like this U.S. Navy was conducting a training exercise with one of its battleship groups. Two battleships were assigned to the training squadron and had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. A person by the name of Frank Koch was serving on the lead battleship, and he was on watch on the bridge as night began to fall. Frank remembers the story and so he counts it and he tells it like this, that the visibility was poor, there was patchy fog, and so the captain remained on the bridge keeping watch and eye on all the activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern? The captain called out. The lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant the two ships were on a collision course with each other. The captain then called to the signalman, signal that ship. We're on a collision course. Advise you change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal. Advise you change course 20 degrees. The captain said, send, I'm a captain. Change course 20 degrees. I'm a seaman, second class, came the reply. You had better change course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was beyond angry. He was furious. He yelled out, send, I'm a battleship. You change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal. I'm a lighthouse. We changed course pretty quickly. Well, perhaps you've heard that story before many times. Perhaps that's brand new for you. Whichever the case it is, I tell it to you this morning to bring something very fundamental out in the open. Every single one of us is under authority. It doesn't matter if it's the most simplest way or the most significant, all of us are under authority. Think about it. We're all under the authority of nature, right? Things like gravity and physics, and with that, everybody is now not interested in what I have to say. Everybody's snoring, I think I heard a snoring in the back. No, it's true though, like if I were to go and just jump, see you didn't even flinch, you knew I wasn't going to do it, but if I were to jump out into the crowd, right, we would see the law or the authority of gravity play out pretty significantly, but I imagine that's not the kind of authority you were thinking about when I said the word authority. I imagine you might have been thinking, hey, that type of authority is fine. There's nothing that I or anyone else can do about that type of authority. I was thinking about the authority directly over me, over my decisions to do what I want. Exactly. That's the kind of authority I'm talking about. See, just like the captain, you and I, we readily accept those kinds of authorities that we can do nothing about. Things that are common to you, common To me, like the captain of the ship, he cannot change where the land is. He cannot change where the water is. He can't even change how the water moves and it affects the boat. He has to adapt to those. He has to accept those kinds of authorities. See, the captain didn't like the authority directly over him. Affecting his decisions to do what he wanted. Now, I think I have your attention. See, this is where the drama comes in for all of us. No one is immune to the drama of authority sometimes that can affect us. And in his book, The Rule of Love, Jonathan Lehman actually writes about this, how we kind of rub up against authority, how we struggle with authority figures in our lives. And he points to two reasons that I want to share with you as we start out this morning. First, he says this, that we don't like others telling us what to do. Coming in hot this morning, coming in hot, right? We value actually our own thoughts more than the thoughts of others. And this is actually a hallmark of the post-truth culture that we live in, right? Like I could tell you a bunch of things, you could tell me everything you want, I could tell you a bunch of facts about something, something concrete, not debatable, and then people say, that's great, that's your truth, I have my own. That's what happens in our culture now. People value their own thinking, the way they think, their thoughts, their perspectives, more than anyone else. The irony is that our perspectives and our thoughts have us like a dog on a leash, just pulling us through life. And the irony is, is that we claim this as freedom. I don't know about you, but it sounds more like a prison to me. But second, Lehman says this. He says, we know too well how authority has been abused. Right, and right now, as I say that, I can imagine your mind is flooded with bad examples. Right? And the bad examples, they just seem to outweigh all of the good ones. And in that moment of acknowledging all of the bad examples, we just want to rush and just say, all authority then can't be trusted. We have to just do away with all of it. But even in that moment, so many more questions actually come to the surface. Questions like, What do we do with God-given authority? How do we respond to authority figures in our lives? Well, before we try to attempt to give an answer for those, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have brought us here together, God. God, I admit that when the word authority is spoken, so many thoughts and emotions flood my heart in my mind. God, I recognize that perhaps some of us have come here today and we have been mistreated. We've been abused by authority figures. God, I imagine that there's others of us who have tried to do what's right under authority time and time again only to find struggle and pain. God, I pray that by your sovereignty and by the holy spirit that Peace would descend on us right now. God, lower the temperature of our minds. Heal the pain from our past. Give us the ability to hear and understand your word. Lord, bring us to a place of peaceful and loving reception of what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are continuing our series in 1 Timothy, this is actually week 9, we're going to be concluding next week, but this letter along with two others, namely 2 Timothy and Titus are collectively known as the pastoral epistles. I tell you that because we've seen week after week that this is a letter written from Paul, the apostle, to a young pastor named Timothy, and so collectively these are known as kind of like a how-to manual for pastors. I don't know about you, but for me, I've seen just as much how-to for the church. And I think we're going to see that powerfully today. Over the past couple of weeks, we've seen how the gospel actually shapes relationships in the church. We spent some time talking about how Paul, or seen how Paul's told us to care for widows. Also care for pastors. And now we come to bond servants. Clearly a word we're all familiar with, right? Nobody. Well, why don't we get familiar with it, all right? Open your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen behind me. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll be reading in verses 1 and 2. Paul writes this, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. Well, before we dig into the text, there's something we really need to address first that that deals with the context of this text. I don't know what translation you're reading from, but sometimes the word slaves or slavery might be there instead of bondservants. And it's really important that we address this. It might sound a little bit academic, but we really need to understand rightly what kind of a relationship Paul is speaking to. As the Holy Spirit guides him and he's writing this, we need to understand who he's talking to. And so the Hebrew and Greek words for slave actually cover a wide range of relationships that actually require a different English word each time if the right kind of context is going to be accurately communicated. And the team of ESV translators actually were convinced that there's a significant difference between the ancient practice of slavery and the one that we are most familiar with here in America. And so through all of their study into this context that Paul's writing, they chose the word bondservant instead of slave. But being a bondservant still meant that you were property of another human being. We need to understand that the ancient practice of slavery was based largely on economics more than it was anything else. Far and away had to deal with economics. For example, a person might become a bondservant voluntarily to escape poverty or to pay off a debt. But a person might also become a bondservant involuntarily by birth or that they were part of a people group that got conquered in a battle, something of that nature. But here's what I want you to understand. Bondservants regularly enjoyed the same status and freedoms as their masters, almost indistinguishable. And so that puts the ancient practice of slavery in a fundamental different place than the one of the 19th century here in America. But let me speak plainly with you this morning. Make no doubt that the Bible condemns slavery. It condemns it emphatically because it robs people of the dignity of being made in the image of God. And actually at the start of this letter in chapter one, verse 10, Paul actually condemns slavery as a violation of God's word. However, slavery was deeply embedded in Roman culture. There's no doubt about that. And it's actually likely that about a one-third of the population of Ephesus, where Timothy is, the one-third of the population was probably bondservants. And so this issue was highly relevant to the church, highly relevant because both masters and bondservants were part of the church. They would worship together. So Paul actually speaks directly to this relationship. But I wonder if you noticed something. In verses 1 and 2, he actually distinguishes between bondservants who have Christian masters and those who have non Christian masters. And Paul actually, in verse 1, he starts with bondservants who have non Christian masters, and he says this show honor to uphold the gospel. Look back at verse 1 with me. Paul actually says bondservants are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. But notice what's missing. The behavior of masters. He doesn't even mention it. See, masters should be regarded as worthy of respect and honor simply because they're fellow image bearers with the bondservants. But I wonder if you caught the two most important words in the verse. Just two little words. So that... Those are the two most important words in this verse because Paul's actually saying to bondservants, look at your non-believing masters as worthy of honor so that God's name is honored. So that the teaching or the gospel is what he's referring to is not slandered. See, Paul's concern is that if the response to non-Christian authority figures lacks honor, if it lacks respect, this could negatively affect The reputation of God's character in the church. It could negatively affect the reputation of God's character outside of the church. It could also affect the advance of the gospel. But even worse, think about it this way, that if there's a negative response to masters or those who are watching, they might want nothing to do with the gospel. They might want nothing to do with God and that would be tragic. You know, when I played, um, or I was in high school, I played football. And every day we would go out and we would have a warm-up, right? We would stretch and warm-up before practice. And it would be much like this, where there would be captains out in front, and then everybody, all the players would be in lines throughout the field. And we would do our stretches, we would go down, and that's about as far as I'm going to go, because I'm not 15 anymore. Um, But the coaches, they would be mingling around, right? They would walk around the players, they would talk with players, they would observe the players, But as soon as the coaches kinda left some players, myself included, we would just kinda not participate. We would stop stretching. We would, as soon as they would leave, we would stop doing what they asked us to do, stop following their authority. Didn't help matters much that I was one of the captains. Um, Yeah, we'll just pass right over that for a second. But see, when they weren't looking, I didn't show them honor. I didn't show them respect. I didn't have any heart, but also I didn't have any heart for my teammates as well. See, you and I likely cannot relate to being a bondservant, right? That's something that's probably not something we have a category for in our life, but all of us can relate to having a boss or having a coach. And see, your workplace is probably one of the primary places that you engage with the world. You engage with non-Christians, and sadly, many Christians do the exact same thing to authority in our workplaces or even elsewhere. No honor, no respect. And maybe you might want to push back right now in your mind and say, hey, I've got plenty of reasons why I don't show my boss respect. He's done this to me. He's done that to me. Doesn't matter. Paul gives no reasons here. He doesn't give the bond servants any wiggle room, nor do we have any. Now, there might be a case for civil dis- disobedience but that's a conversation for a different day. That's not what in, what's in Paul's view here. Your boss is made in the image of God. And God's character is on the line. The gospel is on the line. I think you and I can agree right there that the stakes couldn't be higher. So how's your relationship with your boss? What does it look like? Do you show them honor and respect. Do you recognize them as an image bearer, na- made in the same likeness of God that you are made in? See, I think what we need to see is that the way that we respond to authority figures in our life, it is in fact something God uses to change lives. It is something that God uses to advance the gospel. So show honor to uphold the gospel for the for those in authority and for everyone who's watching. Now in verse 2, Paul actually, he now changes his focus now to bondservants who have Christian masters, right? And he says towards Christian masters, he says, serve better to bless spiritual family. Serve better to bless spiritual family. Look back at verse 2. See, Paul addresses both, excuse me, situations because both really are important, right? When a bondservant has a master who is a believer, Paul doesn't want that bondservant to just mail it in. Right? He doesn't want faith, the shared faith between them, to be something they take advantage of and something they use to kind of like loaf off here. He doesn't want slumber to come into their hearts. However, you might observe it like this. You might say, well, hey, if the reason to show honor and respect to non-Christian masters is for God's name, right, his, his reputation, and to advance the gospel, well, none of that is on the line here, right? If, if I have a Christian authority over me, none of that's on the line, but how wrong thinking that is. See, there is something on the line. It's the richness and the depth of Christian love and Christian faith. There's equally important things on the line here. And Paul doesn't want a heart posture that says, hey, they're a Christian, I'm a Christian, doesn't matter. I can kind of just skate by. See, if Paul's focus here, he's calling out, he doesn't want complacency to set in when a Christian has another Christian in authority over them, Paul doesn't want a heart to develop in us that is satisfied with serving little or serving less. See, rather, he says, they must serve all the better because they are brothers. They are brothers and sisters. That is the very reason why servants should serve all the better, Paul says. See, Paul He calls attention to the fact that the faith and love that unites us in Christ is far from a reason to neglect serving. Far from a reason to just mail it in. In fact, he says that's the very reason we should serve with everything in us. Serve with all of our faith and our love and our strength. These are the precise things, he says, to teach and urge to the church. These are the precise things that Paul says to Timothy impress these upon the church. Serve your Christian authority all the better. So, how do you respond to Christian authority figures in your life? What does that look like for you this morning? Do you have an eagerness that just, it rises up with you when you look at your authority figure that's a Christian and you see that shared faith, that shared love that, that didn't come from you, that came from Christ. He united you. Does that build up an eagerness in you to serve them with all of your heart? Or is there a slothfulness here that leads to nothing, that leads to no action? You know, last week, Pastor Rob actually acknowledged that the message was awkward for him. He's talking about caring for pastors. Well, this moment's awkward for me. My boss is in the room. <laughs> I mean, he's here. I can't really escape that. That's pretty much a given. But long before he was ever my boss, he's my brother. And actually, more important than that, he's been my brother longer than we've had a working relationship together, right? There's something more meaningful that unites him and I together. There's something more powerful that unites him and I together. And because of that, I'm motivated to serve him well. Everything in me, all of my love, all of my intelligence, every gift that I have, I wanna bring that to bear to serve him well. Everything that God gives him as far as a vision for this church, I want to see that done well, see that done with excellence. Kind of like what Aaron did for Moses, I want to lift his arms up, come alongside him, and it doesn't matter what I have to do, whatever burden I have to bear, I want to do that with everything in me. But you might hear that and say, oh, well, that's great, that's nice. He's in the room, you have to say that. But see, honestly, I I might not be able to convince you that that's my true feelings. But I actually don't have to. Because each of us have to give an answer for ourselves. Each of us have to respond to Christian authority based on how we think we need to. In the way that scripture guides us. I can't answer that for you. You know, Jesus once had an interaction that I think we should revisit today. It was with a Roman centurion. He's a commander in the Roman army. He's got soldiers under him and he's got soldiers above him. And his servant is paralyzed at home and he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, can you heal my servant? And Jesus is like, sure, let's go, I'll do it. But right when Jesus answers, he stops him. And he says something really powerful that I want to share with you. It's found in Matthew 8. He says this, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. And then watch this. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And watch what Jesus says. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Wow. See, the depth and the richness of our faith d- is directly related to our healthy understanding of and living under authority. You might ask why that is. Well, because Christians under authority, we serve a higher authority. That's true of all of us who call Jesus as Savior. He's also our Lord. So how do you respond to God-given authority in your life? Maybe you come here today and you have a job and you're in the marketplace. And so I'll just ask you, do you show your boss honor and respect? When he's present with you, do you talk about him one way and then when he's not there or she's not there, you talk a different way. What does it look like? Maybe today it's about changing your perspective. Changing the way you think about their, your boss. Change the way you see them. Maybe today is about trust. Trusting that God has you exactly where he wants you, even though you can't see it. Even though you may not agree with it. What is one way? you can deepen your trust with God this week? What is one step you can do to open your perspective for him to change? What about in the church? Is our shared faith an excuse to serve little, or serve less? Or does your faith motivate you to serve all the better? you know we stand up on stage and we talk about opportunities to serve in this church quite frankly needs that we have and listen hear my heart on this that's not guilt and shame i'm trying to put on you not at all guilt and shame have never been good teachers and they never will i'm just after some honest examination of yourself some honest time alone with god where you open up your heart for him to show you what's there see Our response to God-given authority shows how deep or how shallow our understanding is of the very heart of God. God who used his authority to serve you and I, rebellious sinners, serve us in such a way that we could know him and enjoy him forever.